And hello and welcome to another episode of Haunted Histories with yours truly, Penny Griffiths Morgan. What have I been up to? Well, there's, there is some quite exciting stuff, hopefully, on the horizon coming, but haha, I can't tell you too much about it. Oof. But uh, for those of you who wondered if I'm going to be doing any more Help My House is Haunted as a guest historian, keep an eye on the current series of The Celebrity One because you might see my mush appearing in one of the episodes that's based in Essex. So in other words, yes, I have got more Help My House is Haunted. But I was actually going on my other side, my rock chick side just recently, and I went up to Swansea to see a band called Those Damn Crows, who are absolutely brilliant, and actually filmed one of their videos at the um, Harvest School that Spectacular managed. So there's a bit of a paranormal link there as well. But my show tonight is with a very good friend of mine and someone who... I haven't been able to call her this since I last spoke to her because she hadn't been awarded it when I last spoke to her, but she is now a Dr. Kate Sherrill, PhD. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I think you were waiting on, you just submitted it or something when we did the last yeah, podcast. Maybe. Yeah, it was quite a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, that took a long time from passing to getting that certificate. Yeah. Painful experience. What was your, what's your PhD in? It's in 19th century Gothic literature. So it's within the School of English and Journalism. But my focus has been sort of depictions of mediumship and female mediumship yeah. in like 19th century periodicals, 19th century Gothic, and how that reflects into contemporary neo-Gothic literature. Sounds really intelligent. It's, it, that's the trick, you see. You give them really long titles. Ah, and people think, oh, God, she's clever. And then you ask them to like change the oil on their car. <laughs> realize, oh no she's just incompetent <laughs> <laughs> well we've all got to have skills haven't we I guess I guess I mean but that's the things I say about you you're one of those lovely people who is not only intelligent you're quite happy to dumb it down to explain to us mere mortals you've also got a sense of humor and you also look amazing so thank you I hate you with a passion oh thank you darling that's so lovely <laughs> But you've you've been doing some amazing things just recently, haven't you? Mm, been a busy girl. Have. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of well, I'm always writing, so there's always an article of mine in some spooky magazine somewhere in the world or something about death somewhere in the world. Still doing my talks, my events, and then yeah, of course I did uh, Haunted Homecoming with Jack Osborne, the my first Name ever dropping. shiny telly show. Name yeah. dropping. You know, yes. not just anybody, you have to go for like royalty, like showbiz royalty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it was very much going in at the deep end, wasn't it? But it was great. It was fantastic, really, really brilliant experience. And a good show. Oh, yeah, there's my little ego being buffed. I'm proud of that show. I think you should be. I yeah. enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And talking to some of the other sort of people in the paranormal world, we were saying how nice it was to see someone slightly different appearing mm. on telly, not the normal whilst there's nothing wrong with the normal people, it's nice for them to actually step outside their comfort zone and, you know, give someone else a chance to say, you know, I'm here too. I, I yeah. have ability. I can research. I can look up the history and, you know, immerse myself in the Buckinghamshire archives and see what little delights I can find. Mm. That 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 knowledge is there for anyone who wants to go and find it, isn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. Well, like we were we were saying before we started recording that 
I think both of us really have got these kind of home archives. I've certainly got big filing cabinets full of scans and notes that I personally took over the preceding months before we even started filming. Mm. And I've got a, a whole bookshelf now in my already cramped home dedicated to history of Buckinghamshire and, you know, Buckinghamshire folklore and things like that. So yeah. it was a really immersive, um, immersive project. Yeah. Really. I think that was one of the elements I really enjoyed even before we set foot in front of the camera. Yeah. I think if someone had said to me, you need to research the history of this area, I would have been like, yes. I started yeah. before I've even been given the job. But that, there might be a job reset. Oh, I'm on, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> So when 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 you found out you were going to be, did you know it was going to be with Jack when they approached? I didn't. You? I didn't for a long time. Oh. No, there was. Yeah, it was. Um, I've since become quite pally with the um, the lovely production team. Um, uh, basically, it was it was a long process, but yeah. it. I think they had like quite a big pool of people to interview in the first stage, and I think fortunately I kind of caught their eye from stage one, and it, it went through. We went on, you know, with these sort of things, your film pilots, your test screenings and went through all of that, you know, recorded a full paranormal investigation mm -hmm. um, with a, a little production team that then went back and was shown to, you know, the production company and to Jack. And and then finally, at the latter stage, it was, oh, by the way, it's with Jack Osborne. Do you want to go meet him now to see if you guys get on? Mm. Because obviously, if you're going to be working with someone as a as co-hosts you know not just you know popping in to help out with Jack you know you need to make sure that you you get on and that was There's the big the sort of there. yeah that was that was the last big decider and we got on like a house on fire so it was it was a very long process mm. but then when when it started it just flew by yeah, I say I, I binge watched all three episodes last week when I was sat in my hotel before I went to Swansea. And I it was you coming across, which I thought was really nice. They didn't try and mould you. You still had your sarcasm, which is one of the things I love about you, is your sense of humour. And and some I think one of my favourite one-liners you came out with when Jack was trying to get you to hot, it was Boo Bear that you were bringing out because mm. people have reported hearing children and um, I must admit, boo bears freak me out a little bit. Um, yeah. And you, he said, go on, hold the bear's hand. And you went, no. And I thought she's going to say, no, that scares me. Right? And you just went, I'm very scared of commitment. And honestly, I thought that was just such a Kate thing. Wow. <laughs> like, and I was so glad they didn't cut it out because it was you. It was your humor. Yeah. I thought the fact that they allowed you to be you mm -hmm. and not just to be like sort of a a blonde kind of bit of totty next to Jack Osborne. Do you get what I'm saying? I, <laughs> yeah. I, I like that. I've, I like that. I've never been called totty before, though. Have I've never not? been called totty before, oh. so I, I will take that okay. quite happily. <laughs> Do you know what? When when we get together at the Paramete in September, mm -hmm. I am going to introduce you as the blonde totty. Oh, please do. Please, I'll make a name badge especially. It'll be a beautiful <laughs> moment. <laughs> But they, I really like the fact that they they didn't see you weren't just Jack Shadow you you were mm. an integral part of the show. It yeah. wasn't just the Jack Osborne vehicle. I thought he he seems a very sort of um, gracious person in that he wants other people to get the limelight. As yeah, well. he really is. He's he's incredibly kind while being incredibly professional as well. So I think I really looked out in the, learning the ropes with 
with people like that mm. um made it all all made it a very smooth and a very enjoyable process and I felt like I could grow within my role because although they're you know three hour long episodes we were in Buckinghamshire for quite a long time um filming them and so yeah it was quite nice to feel like I had I had space to breathe and you know we could do investigations the way we wanted because I'm sure many people who who are paranormal investigators themselves won't go on you know on an evening and just not laugh or smile the whole time so so why is our media reflecting this very stoic you know battle vest you know everything's a demon let's be quiet sort of lifestyle when whereas in reality everyone's having a bit of a giggle you know bringing the thermoses and you know and maybe go into the pub the next morning or something you know there's there's so much more bloody freezing I want to go home all that kind of comment yeah 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 (laughs) and you know people's obsessions with branded fleeces and the paranormal these sort of things that they're never addressed (laughs) and I feel like they should be (laughs) I did like the fact you were almost all in black you know because that is the uniform Mm. we have to wear and oh, legally, some, legally obliged. Legally, yeah. although somebody did say to me, "Why do you always wear black?" and I went, "Because that's all I own." Same. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You want me to wear colour? Oh, I have to go and buy it. I mean, <laughs> it's not uniform for me. It's just it just coordinates. It all goes together, yeah. so you don't have to worry about clashing. Exactly. Yeah. It's logic. Yeah, I don't think I've worn colour. Like on mass, apart from like maybe a, a mild pattern, mild pattern <laughs> since the millennium. You've got some colours yeah, in there. My my big old granny cardigan has got um yeah some form of flower on it. This is about as colourful as I get. Yeah, I think really. Yeah, I think I think my underwear's not black today. Yeah, oh, congratulations. Yeah, I just <laughs> had the first thing I could find this morning to get ready, but um, <laughs> so. One of the things that intrigued me about the show is obviously it focuses on Jack's um, kind of childhood. I mm. mean, Welder's house. Wow, I didn't know that history about it. The fact that it was yeah. a, a mental asylum and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I was just like, oh, I'd love to get in yeah. there. And Oh, you would have loved those records. Oh, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot to get through. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually wonder if the woman who got hit by a train it wasn't necessarily taking her own life she kind of went walk about and didn't know where she was she was confused yeah um yeah the 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 records for you know as 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 many as there were there were the the more you read the more questions hmm. that you had afterwards you know the the patient records of course with it being i think it was 19th century they were they were so vague when it came to mental disorders or mental illness that you couldn't really pinpoint what was what was going on with them. So all, all you can do from that is just guesswork, really, and hopefully respectful guesswork in the process. I mean, the problem with mental uh, um, the, the sort of the treatment. Well, I say the problem of the treatment with mental health in the nineteenth century and the early twentieth century, and I say problem because treatment of mental health is still in its infancy compared to other conditions mm. what we look as now as being abhorrent sort of treatments to them were cutting edge mm. and and yeah. i always say that i think in 50 years they'll look at back at how we treat mental health now and go for heaven's sake what on earth possessed them to do that yeah, um, yeah. but the fact that these people were in a place where they relatively safe they were being fed they were 
you know, undercover. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, epilepsy was treated as a mental illness for a yeah. very long time. And, and, and also I know when I've looked into records of sort of, I, when I did a, um, an article on, um, oh, what's it called? Coney Hatch, the, the, mm -hmm. Lon the London mental, you know, you had people in there, women in there that it was quite obvious. It was menopause was the reason they were in there, but yeah. because it sends you do lally, the technical term, you know, people were hospitalized because of it. And, and so, yeah, it is quite, it is quite shocking, but it's, it, do you ever find it hard when you're looking at these things and you're researching them to to try and look at them with the eyes of a person who would have been around then as opposed to now? Mm. I think, yeah, no, I, I think whenever you're looking at anything archival that's to do with especially the human experience, mm. it's you kind of have to straddle this strange duality. Like you have to try and be incredibly objective with, you know, the information you need to retrieve from this. But also, if you're particularly empathetic, you can't help but already, you know, insert yourself into the, the place of some of these people. And I think that's broadly that I think could only ever be encouraged because it, I think it's when we dehumanise the past that we can, we stop learning from it and we don't appreciate it for the for the wider context that it really should be held into. And I think, like you're saying, with things like um, asylums and places where mental illness was treated, that's that's kind of a big hot topic in the paranormal, isn't it? That a lot of the the haunted locations, supposedly haunted locations, that are most controversial or most divisive, I suppose, are things like asylums and, and places where there was a lot of mental trauma. And so within that, there's even more to unpack. Like, then are we othering people from the past with mental illness? Are we making, are we just projecting these horrors onto a place and therefore sort of diminishing the the memory and the lived experiences of these people are we dishonoring them by kind of hauntifying their yeah. existence and and just turning it into this big amorphous mass of oh asylums are spooky you know and I, th I think that's kind of it, it's very important that wherever you're you're investigating as you know as I'm sure you know you need to go in with both eyes open hmm. and not lose yourself on either track yeah I know one of the arguments I get into most when I'm doing sort of workhouse history and because I don't say workhouse bad, workhouse this, I get quite, some people get quite, um, well, I was called a white supremacist Nazi by someone on the internet. Oh. I didn't condemn the workhouse movement. I was wow, okay. I was trying to explain that um, back then it, it was deliberately made out to be bad because they wanted to create a stigma so people wouldn't use it. They wanted people to try everything else first. And that's why they created the bad press around it. And the fact that a lot of people in there, had they not gone in, they would have died. There was also a lot of people in there who had mental illnesses who weren't severe enough for the um, the union to pay for them to be in an asylum. Because I think, I think it was something like it would have cost, I don't know, 12 shillings a week to be in an asylum in the mid-1800s, whereas it cost mm -hmm. two and a half shillings a week for them to be in the workhouse so you, you yeah. had a lot of them if they weren't dangerous mm -hmm. would be siphoned off into the workhouse but they were safe and they had a bed and they had a roof and they had some food and trying to sort of say well what would be worse living in that kind of scenario and we're talking victorian england mm. living in or living in one of the slums where you're possibly you know bedding down under a stairwell at night mm. 
and you run the risk of being attacked, of being robbed, of being killed in your sleep. You don't know where your next meal's coming from because you can't work, so you can't earn money. Yeah. And trying to explain this to people, and they're like, yeah, but it's horrific, it's this, it's that. Yes, it, 21st century eyes, it is, that people are expected to live on 13, 1,400 calories a day. But that's only our society now that expects more luxury. And mm. and it, it's it's sort of looking at those things and trying to explain that, look, if you look at it in the context of the time, yeah, it was the PR wanted it to be horrific because they didn't want people to rely on it. And then mm. you get even deeper into how they viewed the poor back then and the poor, the poor were the poor because it was their fault. It wasn't just, you know, they what was it? I was reading something recently and it said um it was it was an it was an MP Victorian MP saying about the poor all being alcoholics and everything else and that's why they're poor because they're alcoholics yeah and it's like no they're alcoholics because they're poor it, it, it kind of you know and it, it's like when people sort of see someone who's homeless now and they're like oh they're on drugs it's awful well they're on drugs to 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 self medicate the fact that yeah you know and and it is trying to explain it's it's cause and effect and. And, yeah, but, you know, I was I, I was called a white supremacist Nazi for not yeah, condemning, and I said, "But how can you condemn something that happened two hundred years ago?" I'm trying to explain to you the logic behind it, mm-hmm. and you're calling me something quite offensive. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think things like workhouses and well, anything that requires nuance really is is hard to um it's hard to put into black and white terms that are easily digestible on the internet. You know, when, when there's anything that requires a wider social context, then it, it's, it's always going to be problematic to, to put forward to people who will come in maybe with just like a, a base knowledge or a, a little quirk and not really want to move from that because that satisfies their, mm. their own personal historical narrative. Mm. Yeah. yeah no I agree and I think with asylums and stuff finding out that welders I genuinely didn't I was quite like, <gasps> when I found that out when you you sort of mentioned mm. that in the, the the history and um but it wasn't unusual especially well to, in the 1900s during sort of the first world war and the second world war for buildings like that to be requisitioned as hospitals of some sort of mm. houses yeah. so you know I I found that really really interesting just that that part and um yeah that mirror that you did the scrying in a stunning mirror it's gorgeous isn't it it's huge yeah they had a lot of really really beautiful mirrors in their house but that one just seemed like prime i mean how often do you get to gaze into a wall-sized mirror and really immerse yourself in the process rather than just staring at a hand mirror trying not to see what everyone else is doing around you no, it was amazing. It was an amazing. That was a, that was the first episode. Obviously, the second episode you went to um, the Royal Standard. Yes. Pub. I must yeah. admit, I did feel very uncomfortable with all those candles around, with all that wood. I was like, oh gosh, is there a fire extinguisher <laughs> nearby? Um, yeah. And you also went to the Swan Theatre. Yes. Yes. Yes, we did. Now, those <laughs> apartments you went to, where they had yeah. a freaky ass dressing room. And the very, very mm-hmm. dirty bath. Was I correct in thinking that used to be actual flats that people used to live in? It was it was a singular apartment. Right. So they, they ended up, obviously, for, for time, because we filmed for many, many hours in this. So the, the theatre goes through into kind of the, the 
council chambers and like the, the town hall. And it was above the council chambers that you gained access to this flat that used to it used to belong to to the to the theatre for a while, but it used to mainly be used for people that were like visiting um artists. Right. I think and people who worked for the theatre were were lodged there, but it was one singular flat for a really long time. Because my and now it's like this, yeah, strange storage. Because uh, I wondered if you'd been able to access any sort of census records or see who'd been. Well, yeah, we managed to look through the last few long-term occupants, and there was nothing really notable. There was no secret murderer or or anything like that. It, it just seemed more like perhaps it was you know if you believe that there is there is anything supernatural going on there that the busyness of that flat mm. and the rather bleakness really of, the, of that flat maybe has, has become ingrained in some capacity maybe it was the fact they kept touching your leg it just made me think it was really weird was a bit pervy yeah <laughs> yeah when I watched it back afterwards you know when we were looking through the cameras I thought am I just am I reporting a supernatural sexual assault or something well, you that, know no, joking yeah. aside that was the first the first thing that came to mind because Normally, when a ghost, a spirit, whatever it is, touches you mm. and you go, wow, no, I don't like that, they stop. Yeah. That one kept going. Yeah. And it was it was right up my leg as well in, like, multiple places as though someone was, like, a hand was touching me. I just, I just say. It was very odd. Obviously, some pervy person who's worked at the theatre then. Yeah, let's, yeah. Why not? Let's go with that. <laughs> but the last place you went to, and the one we're going to be talking about the most, mm-hmm. is Missenden Abbey. Yes. Now, I yeah. admit I'd heard of it, didn't know much about it. And when you said mm-hmm. to me, let's do a show on, let's talk about Missenden Abbey, I was like, okay, I'm 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 about as religious as a bowl of grapes. But <laughs> it sounds quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and I must admit, there's a few uh, places like Fountains Abbey up in Yorkshire. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, Revo place. places like that. Yeah, yeah, oh, and stunning. So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll have a look and watch the episode. Brilliant episode. Um, the fact that it was it was formed back in eleven thirty three. Augustinian monks, black yes. monks. I was mm-hmm. like, really, I was listening to you what you were saying and the fact you're in the <laughs> archives and you're digging into all this information. And I've written down four words here that you said. Okay. Sex, adultery, sodomy, embezzlement. It sounds more yeah. like the Houses of Commons than it does. Yeah. And have... yeah, Houses of Commons, thirteenth century Catholic Church. You decide. Thirteenth. <laughs> yeah, century? it was. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's. I think the the site really has eight like eight hundred years of of history, but I think initially when when the Abbey was founded. It was it was quite well intentioned, and there were um, it was like there were Augustinian monks, but I think some of the first ones were Arasian. Thank you, monks I'm glad that you came from a, that. Yeah, I, I could be saying it completely wrong. It's one of those words that I've seen written down, yeah. but it's they're, they're from um, it's it's a French order. Yes. It was like so. I think it it's one of these these orders that was founded with good intentions, you know, on the you know, on chastity, obedience, poverty, things like that. But they can only suit you for so long before you realise there's a pub down the road. And then 
there were many, many reports from the time from various sources that weren't especially specific about what was going on with the Abbey, but that they weren't keeping to their orders, that they were seen in taverns, that they were seen bringing ladies back to the Abbey, that they were using more wine and ale than anywhere else in the vicinity, you know, things like that. And there were there were so many reports of, yeah, of drunkenness, of sex workers, of uh, relationships between monks, shall we say. But then on the other hand, if you go on like another 50 to 100 years, then you get reports of the brutality of the punishments that were brought into place, you know, to to deal with this, this kind of dodgy nihilistic order that sprung up. And that's when you get the reports of like a novice having slit a throat, of, of monks having, you know, killed themselves in various ways rather than face the punishment of the of the abbot. And so if, if the punishment of the abbot is worse than something as brutal as that, it's it just shows you how tumultuous the the relationship that Missenden had with faith mm. really was throughout the throughout the years. It was really it was a real roller coaster. I, then, I looked I, into I, yeah. I looked into some of the abbots. And I, mm-hmm. and I I need to refer to my notes here, but I, okay. I, I, did, I did look into some of them. And and yes, I, I did find um, the document that was saying about there was a novice who cut his own throat in 1297 mm-hmm. because he was fearing the discipline. Mm. Now, it also said that they were fraternising with the nearby convent that was the same order, but women or something was yes. meant to they'd be there yeah. to compliment the men. And it made me wonder how many those nuns got pregnant as a result. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was a lot of uh, kind of there was unfounded talk of I think there always is when there's convents near to or if, if there's monks and nun, monks and nuns close to one another, there's always talks of secret tunnels. Yeah, wherever you go, there's a secret tunnel. If there's a, you know, I think it was the same with Borley, with like Borley Rectory, there was talk mm-hmm. that there were tunnels between the monks and the nearby nuns. And well, there's meant to know, be a secret always... tunnel between Richmond Castle. And, and I can't think what the name of the abbey is. It's about two and a half miles away because it's that tunnel that the drummer boy was meant to have suffocated trying to locate mm. for them. So, yeah, there's always secret tunnels mentioned. Oh, completely. Yeah. And th- there was talk of, um, there were, well, there were mentions of um, very brutal punishments from the nearby abbey for nuns that would return pregnant as well. So there's this kind of this strange sort of debauchery brutality going on around the the Missenden area so it seems like a really like it's been a really unsettled place yeah for so long I mean even when you know you go into like the dissolution of the monasteries when it was then given to Elizabeth I and then she passed it on to you know one of her favorite men of court. yeah, La yeah. Originally. yes yeah. yeah and then when it got passed down and it eventually went to like plantation owners so you've got all of that sort of nastiness attached to that then we go into the 80s the massive fire the discovery of all these bones that were then moved it seems like there's no there's never been that long that the that the site could rest you know even when the abbey was torn down in the i think it was in the late by the late 19th century was it there was a point where the abbey was it was um early 19th century i think that early the 19th century. it remodeled it quite extensively yeah he remodeled most of it into how he wanted and then just pulled down the remainder of the abbey 
and then when it was then rebought they tried to kind of rebuild it in the yeah. neo-gothic style but I think Missenden is just a good example architecturally at least of leave it alone <laughs> just stop faffing it's lovely yeah. as it is yeah you know? Yeah, and the now it's is, there's, so nice, many ab- but... there's so many abbeys in the UK that happened to because mm. that's what Henry did, oh, yeah. wasn't it? He, he took them, gave them to people he liked and said, do what you want with it. And a lot of them sort of took the stone and rebuilt a house elsewhere or yeah. know that um, Audley End in near me, in near Stansted, mm-hmm. that was a former abbey that was then taken in the 16th century. And, yeah, and it's... <sighs> Mm, but the, the, I must admit, the stories I've heard about other abbeys, they don't touch what I found. I mean, Missenden, there was one of a lot of the people who seemed to cause the mischief there were the abbots. Because oh, I don't yeah. know whether it's due to the fact that to become an abbot, you didn't necessarily have to be religious. It was more that you were appointed. It was almost like you were elected to that position yeah. because you were landed gentry or you were the second son or mm. something but i know one of them and i don't know if i pronounce his name right he's sometimes down as marshal or marischal he was the um he was the abbot there during edward the third's mm. reign um in the 14th century and he was um arrested for chipping coin chipping so coinage like where they yeah don't know what that was they used to take the coins and carve the edges off them and then sell the silver that they're t- and it was very very illegal it's treason he was supposed to be um hanged drawn and quartered but managed to get a pardon and then subsequently died in 1374 so he got away with something that other people would have yeah. been hanged drawn and quartered yeah. Well, it's it's little wonder then, isn't it, that that communities of of religious people were, were vilified from the off because of the immense wealth that they were they were hoarding, generally in very in, in rural communities, who had very little money. Well, they and were then, expecting arms from the the community, weren't they? They, they you know exactly it was almost meant. What I couldn't find with Missenden, and what I have found with other abbeys, are any um, stories of um, arms giving. Um, and everything else I couldn't find any accounts of them being renowned for giving arms to the poor which most abbeys did that that was you know yeah they must have done in some capacity but But I can't find any accounts yeah no another one I found that was quite an interesting one and this guy's his his own soap opera was um the abbot in 1462 Robert Riseborough Mm. um he was he actually appealed to Edward the Fourth, so Richard the Third, big brother, he appealed to him for protection. And now this was the interesting thing: against setting fire to his properties. Now the reason I found that interesting is what <laughs> happened in the eighties. Exactly. Boom. Completely gutted. Yeah, and he yeah. asked Richard the, um, Edward the Fourth for protection mm. against the monks rebelling against him as an abbot and setting fire to the place. Edward did give him that protection. I don't know if you know found this story out, but Edward did give him the protection. Yeah. Then he was arrested for um, something called simony, which mm-hmm. I'd never heard of. I had to look it up. Basically means nicking church goods and selling them. Yeah. He's, um, and um, so he was sacked. Then he was replaced by somebody called Henry Honor. Um, 
he then complained to the chancellor and said he'd been forced out unfairly and this none of this was true so they reinstated him and and imprisoned henry who done nothing wrong yeah just turned up bad job literally just turned up yeah yeah hospital pass job um and then in um he was reinstated then he was this is riseborough then he was given Mm. the bishop of lincoln job and decided that perhaps he couldn't be the abbot as well as being a bishop, so step yeah. down from being and and um, guess what? Henry's reinstated as the abbot, <laughs> and then in fourteen seventy six, Richard decides that he doesn't want to be a bishop; he wants to be abbot again. So complains and said he was removed due to his Lancastrian sympathies, and not because he wasn't he was a bad abbot. Um, at that point, Edward the Fourth realized that Richard Riseborough was a bit of a troublemaker. Um, yeah. And he told him, basically, go away, don't come back. And Henry's position was made safe. Yeah. But you think that's meant to be a religious person who's causing that much trouble. And they are dodgy to the extreme. Completely. It's it's like a, an illegal gambling den Ooh. run by people in robes. Just having, yeah. well, those at the top, as as in, in any institution, really, those at the top are having the time of their lives. Mm. Whereas, you know, not that everyone else was truly living by the chaste laws, but they certainly weren't, weren't benefiting as much as the as the, the higher clergy, certainly. I mean, finding that stuff, I was I was almost like, no, there's not more. Oh, there's more on that. It's oh. constant. It's yeah. absolutely constant. And I mean, there's even cases, I think, of Henry III um, coming and staying on multiple occasions as like a kind of like a pleasure holiday. Yep. Like he enjoyed it so much. I mean not many monarchs would go and stay at an order that truly was quiet and chaste. And I know they're supposed to, they're supposed to enjoy personal religious reflection, but really most monarchs would want a nice holiday in Las Vegas and Missenden really was a, a quite a jazzy den of iniquity. Yeah. yeah. Now Henry the third wasn't as, as religiously chaste and everything as possibly some of the future Kings. Yes. Yeah. Were, um but it, it it's just it was it, i say i found it absolutely fascinating sort of reading up on those because i don't normally read that that sort of i'm normally 1800s onwards mm. so reading stuff like that going oh my days this is like a soap op- this is a soap it op- really op- is it is yeah you could like actually said, probably make no... a series a tv drama series about the monks yeah. of missenden and people would go ah you're them, making it? it up yeah <laughs> maybe we need to yeah. write it the monks we should yeah. yeah yeah but one of the things that was that i found i was quite intrigued by was when you were doing one of the investigations and you spoke mm-hmm. latin i mean could you yes. get any sexier <laughs> thank you thank you i was wondering what would be the language to really tip people over the oh, edge <laughs> yeah a bit of latin girl oh, go on um i can do the french bit but if you gave me mm. in french i could read it out but um yeah. You were in one of the rooms. I think it was like a bar mm-hmm. type room, was it? Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't until afterwards that you picked this up on the recording. And I don't know if this will pick up on my mic, but I'm going to do it on my table. It was a tapping noise. And the tapping noise went like this. And you were saying how weird it is to have a, a oh, Jack, because I can't remember which of you said it now, how weird it was to have a spirit make a melodic mm-hmm. noise rather than just a noise yeah and the thing that got me thinking was well that tap is the one that most 
investigators do to try and get a response mm. from a spirit. I was wondering if the spirit thought you were the spirits and was trying to investigate yeah. you. <laughs> It'd be delightfully meta wouldn't it? if it was, wasn't it? Yeah. There's After that, because um, for those that, that haven't watched the show, it was that, I can't remember what the term is for that, Duh, da, 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 da. but it's like a something and a haircut or something right whatever it's called um we didn't hear it at the time and it was only in post-production that we got the sound guys stuff back and we heard it and then I was told to you know quickly reflect on that and that's been one of the more sort of contentious um bits of evidence in the show like as you know everything that is presented there happened nothing was nothing was put on or, or exaggerated yeah. at all um but with that obviously we didn't hear it at the time um people have said so many people i think it's it's more well known the name of that knock pattern in right. america than it is in the uk right. so a lot of people were telling me the name of that and that um the the boo bear itself may be programmed with that knock pattern in it but as far as I know, that model of Boo Bear, we went through all the different mm. potential, um, uh, like, well, not responses, because it is random. Mm. You know, there's there's nothing, there's, for paranormal equipment, there's nothing paranormal about, <clears throat> nothing paranormal about it. Mm. So Boo Bear just cycles through just a series of pre-programmed responses, you know, and I've I've known people that for different projects have taken apart, who've been electrical engineers and sound guys that have taken apart the innards of boo bears and things like that to get... They've murdered a boo bear. But they, they've murdered... I'm sorry. They put it back together afterwards. Oh, did they? Oh, okay. they, had, they, they had the means. They operated. They operated. I'm so okay. sorry. Yes, they operated. The bear was fine. You know, <laughs> don't send any vicious messages, everyone. The bear is fine. <laughs> You're not doing a burials and beyond article on the burial of the boo bear. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea, but not for like however much they cost. They're silly, silly big investments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, I've known people that have, you know, for, for like film projects and things, have taken it apart so they can find out what the the exact audio responses could be. And as far as we know, that model wasn't programmed with knocking. It only had a series of um, like vocal yeah. responses. Um. So I mean, th there are so many interpretations for that. Is, I like, I like that open-ended element. Even if it was the boo bear, you would have heard it. Yeah, because we were silent. Everyone yeah. in that room was completely silent. Plus, to me, listening to it, it doesn't sound. I can't think what the technical term is for this because I'm not a sound engineer, but it it doesn't sound as part of the the conversation. Does it sounds mm. like it's a different level? That's the only, I, can't, I can't think how to it like a different wavelength or something. I don't know how it all. I'm not a sound engineer, but it. I. I know. I wouldn't. I. I just thought it was really strange that that was the tune it played mm. that you didn't hear it at the time. So if it was a piece of equipment in the room with you, you would have heard it because it was quite yeah. loud. You would have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got to have been picked up. I mean, how many microphones did you have in that? Was it just the camera mic, or were you mic'd up? Oh, no, we were mic'd up. We were mic'd up. We had um, mics on the floor by the Boo Bear. And then we had, um, I think we had a boom, maybe another mic as well. Right. There was a lot. There was a lot of um, 
like as far as locations that were mic'd up goes we had most of it pretty much covered yeah. I just it was a small I, camera crew but mm, I, I I I did not think it would it, it didn't sound like the kind of noise no it did it did sound otherworldly almost the way it was mm. caught on camera um, yeah but I just, I just, what I just thought, wouldn't it be amazing if that was <clears throat> like a time slip, and it, it was someone from the future investigating, yeah, this is now, and 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 their, the veil was so thin, yeah, could be a bit like the others, yeah, and we didn't realise we were dead, dun, 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 dun. that oh, ruined the finale of Haunted oh. Homecoming. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You've been going. Surprise is I'm Nicole Kidman, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Bruce Willis. Um. Yeah, and I'll be going to work every day and I'm dead. Huh. Um, oh. Isn't that the joke they say about the sixth sense that, you know, how would you feel if you're still going to work every day, you're actually dead and you yeah. didn't realise. Um, but I know when I've done research for Help My House is Haunted, mm-hmm. I get an awful lot of information that I don't get to share either on camera or doesn't make it to the edit. Yeah. What yeah. were some of your favourite historical facts or just facts in general that you found mm-hmm. out that didn't make it either the edit or the show in general there was so much we filmed so much more I mean there were whole like trips out that we missed like we went to the the Dashwood mausoleum above the hellfire caves oh what where his heart was meant to be stored yes Mm. yeah to to kind of film this big finale and it was really beautiful and we mentioned a bit about you know the story of of the Dashwood mausoleum and Mm. you know where there was a preserved heart there from one of one of um, Lord Dashwood's great admirers that was then stolen by, an, I think it was an American, maybe an Australian GI um, in wartime. And all of that had to be cut to fit the new programming order, which was a shame. There was an awful lot from from the theatre about the, the man who was Lord Mayor mm-hmm. at the time of the theatre's construction. And that was particularly interesting because that man was not a fan of the arts at all. He very strongly opposed construction of the theatre throughout his his time as mayor and throughout building. He tried to get it stopped several times. He really didn't like the theatre being there. And yet there's a very large bust of him um, just by the stage when you go off. So it seems seems very ironic that his presence is so so unavoidable within that kind of that complex. And so we spoke about that a lot and that, the man whose presence is here and the man who, you know, who is like beneath that flat and oversaw all of this was was so reticent to see it come to pass. Mm. And a lot of a lot of people that we spoke to who had worked there were saying that they were very wary of him and they thought that he he still haunted the theatre very actively and that he still held this grudge that this plot of land had been taken up by something as frivolous as a theatre. So I think just more like the little social histories mm-hmm. of things like that um, were quite sad to miss. You know, and even when we went to to the, the Royal Standard pub, you know, whenever these TV shows go out, you get feedback saying, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you go into the car park to see if you could hear the drummer boy? Why didn't you do this? We did. We did all of this. It got It got caught otherwise, you know, these episodes would be, three or four hours long yeah and there were there were lots of instances of that and the the medium uh sean friend that we had for that episode was phenomenal i am possibly the most skeptical person when it comes to mediums and she she blew me away she was amazing 
and a lot of um like aspects of what she said that then we followed up on had to be cut um and looking at former landlords and former civil war activities we did a lot of civil war stuff around the swan because that was a uh not the swan the uh the standard because that was kind of a a hub for for roundheads at the time and obviously all the the little country lanes were still as they were during that period and there's a lot of local law about you know lots of roundheads on horses traveling through being murdered in in the in the pub and having their their decapitated heads on spikes throughout town and we went more into heads or uh, cavaliers um both round it was it was like a big clash point okay so it's kind of a lot of the civil war stuff that we we drove around quite a lot just discussing civil war clashes mm-hmm. um and a lot of that was was cut really it's more just like the wider context that yeah. i think that might have been a bit fun to include but also then we would have to sacrifice something that was a bit more yeah um, i suppose as well that the some of that stuff whereas i would find it fascinating is probably a bit more specialist the general yeah general public might go oh no I want to see a ghost that, that's yeah and yeah if you're talking about you know centuries old joy riders you know who came to this pub on horses who came to this pub and in the process killed several people because mm-hmm. they were trying to just get as fast as they could out of there you know a lot of that sort of extra discussion of just how rowdy the area was as, as sedate and as beautiful and as, as country-ish and lovely as it is now actually if you look back it was a bit of a lads sort of like a well like a gi army post really where there was just blood on the tarmac all the time wow i must i never knew that about buckinghamshire it's, I, i've never really looked into buckinghamshire as a place other than uh, say i've been to the hellfire caves but um i know i know that it's quite a well-off place you know it's not a cheap place to live so Mm. the fact that it's got that kind of history I find quite amusing (laughs) I think a lot of places that are within kind of spitting distance of London Mm. once you dig a bit deeper of course that's where all the political upheaval is going to be you know up to a point of course before we get moving capitals and things like that but yeah the the Certainly the, the civil war activities that happened in Buckinghamshire uh, really surprised me mm. just how many little skirmishes there were and how many battles there were and how much of it revolved around pubs. You know? <laughs> it was a it's a very exciting place to really dig into, definitely. Well, one of the things I found out of talking pubs, just digressing slightly, I was doing some research mm. into Chelmsford, my hometown, and um, I found out our... Uh, our jail was in the basement of a pub for quite a long time. There were a lot of those, weren't they? Like little mini sort of lockups in pubs. Yeah, yeah. It was called the Crossleys as well, which is, mm. is, is, and it was actually called that before it became. But yeah, it was the mm. it was the jail for a while, and I was and yeah, I mean, I suppose the cellars they would have been quite robust. But it's it's yeah, amazing definitely. what pubs were have been used for. And mm. what they've is not just sort of rowdy lads getting drunk. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, this series was obviously focused on Jack's mm-hmm. childhood and the places he. Looking back at your childhood, I mm-hmm. think that's, oh no, not too traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> K 
okay okay right yeah. <laughs> three where would you love to sort of dig into that was what somewhere of your childhood like you've just Ooh. done with jack yeah oh there's so many places i think because well i'm from i'm from lincolnshire mm-hmm. and we are the county that everyone forgets exists it's massive and it's very spread out i don't unless you're bomb- big into your, bomber your bombers yeah <laughs> Unless you're big into your planes or your tanks. So I'll put that caveat. Okay, you, you will be interested in Lincolnshire. But for, for lots of other people, it's it's kind of just a, a nothing place. Yeah. Whereas in reality, you know, the Lincolnshire was was very, very rich with those sort of big Victorian um what Georgian Victorian huge houses. And mm-hmm. sadly, many of them were were demolished during the, the big inheritance tax hikes you know kind of in the the 40s but I like my first paranormal experiences were in a home that was owned it was like a family home yeah and that's a kind of a project that I'm starting to document at the minute myself right. and trying to make that into something narrative that people might be able to you know enjoy <laughs> but I'd like I think I'd like to be able to go back and investigate that place but also I would be absolutely terrified to. And it's it's just like a standard, I think it was like 1950s semi mm. in Grimsby. It's not some big, scary Victorian country pile. But even when I drive past that nowadays, if I'm heading that way, I'm, I'm a bit scared to go down that road again. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I I would I would like to do that. Anywhere else, yeah. a bit like, you know, the theatre that you went to, the pub, um, um sort of things with jack so your family home is but the thing is how many of us investigators had our first experience in our family home the amount yeah, of us yeah. that have had an experience and and that's almost what kick-started it i mean jack mm. you i know mine i did um but are there any sort of other places that you you looking back now as an adult you think oh yeah places like normanby hall Mm-hmm. I'd like to. There's a there's a pub in Louth called the Old White Swan, which I think is a 17th century pub, and that's been that's reportedly haunted by former landlords. And because I'm I'm quite into my grave history and things like mm. that, when I've gone round uh, Louth Cemetery, I found the graves of former landlords, and so I feel, Where's and I've Louth? looked them up on censuses. Um, Louth is it's south of Grimsby, north of Lincoln. It almost sounds like it should be like Scottish or something, doesn't it? There's a there's a county Louth in Northern Ireland. Oh, is there? Okay. Yeah, but so we, you know, I think Louth gets a lot of um redirected mail <laughs> from there. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's a, a market town, really. Right. But there's there's places like that that I'd I'd really like, really like to investigate things that look mundane or are overlooked. Hmm. There's um. There's a lot of remaining country houses around this way. Some that, like we, that were, uh, Pride and Prejudice were filmed in, they have a bit of a funny feel about them around this way. So uh, there's there's quite a lot of that, and even things like because there's a lot of fishing heritage, yeah, in in Lincolnshire with the trawlers and and things like that. So maybe even somewhere like the fishing heritage centre, will there be any spooky trawlermen? You know, something that something that's very tangibly connected mm. to to Grimsby would be very interesting, or the town hall, somewhere like that. Maybe they should do your haunted homecoming next. 
Yeah, I'll pitch that. Come on, Grimsby. That's really spooky. But Lincoln. <laughs> we'll have to work on it a bit. Lincolnshire. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's, let's branch it out a bit more. <laughs> yeah, and if you you know if you need someone to come in and investigate an old bomber base. Yeah, yeah. No to call. <laughs> yeah, we've got plenty of haunted RAF bases. You have around our way, yeah. So you have uh, yeah, wrap up warm and pop down to one of those. Oh, it'd be amazing. That would be amazing to go yeah. to some of those. Um, that, that is, yeah, that is what I know. Lincolnshire, well, actually, and I suppose yeah. my uncle lives in Lincolnshire, so I do kind of know where it is. But yeah. uh, I, I, I suppose I don't think of people forgetting counties. I, I think of people um, like mistyping and uh, like um, stereotyping mm. a county or you know thinking it's like with Essex everyone assumes it's like all concrete no history and everything else well actually Chelmsford was the capital of England for Mm. about eight days yeah (laughs) um and and you know we've got thousands of years of history in Essex but yeah I never thought of doing one in Lincolnshire yeah we do have a lot I mean the the RAF museum at Lincolnshire I've had several family members who have, you know, been to events there or have just visited there, and they've had really strange experiences as well. So it's, you know, it's it is a bit of a spooky hotbed, really. We've got you oh, know, I... Bradley Bradley Woods that's meant to be reputedly haunted. You know, there are sightings of of like mysterious ghostly women and horses in Hubbard's Hills in Louth again. There's there's a lot, yeah. Hmm. I think you should pitch it to the producers. Yeah, I shall do. I'll get some notes together. I think so. I think so. So the other the other person that you mentioned when you were talking about Missenden, because obviously Missenden became a house, was the Grey Lady. Yes. Um, and uh, you believe, or, or it's believed that it was Elizabeth Carrington. Mm-hmm. What research did you do into her? Well, a lot of the research that I ended up doing into the Grey Lady were kind of superfluous when we actually got there because a lot of the staff who had reported seeing her and a lot of people still do Mm. say that they think they're seeing someone in kind of fancy dress walk through when actually there's there's no one in the building Mm. but a lot of the reports really started coming through about um, a woman who was more dressed as if it was the 1920s someone who was a server so right. there's there's a lot of female energy, but not so much that's kind of authoritative. A lot that's more sort of authoritative in the same way as someone who runs a cafe would be, rather than right. someone who ran like a dynasty or something. Yeah, because I did a bit of digging because mm-hmm. I can't help myself. No, I, I get that completely. And there's three Elizabeth Carringtons who've Ugh. been there. Yeah. Um, the first one married got married to a Captain Charles Henry Best when mm-hmm. she was in 1841. So don't mm-hmm. it's her. Then there was the Elizabeth who was married to her brother, George Carrington, who became Elizabeth Carrington. She died in 1899 at the age of about 72. Mm. She had a daughter called Elizabeth Carrington. Yeah. And that Elizabeth Carrington born in 1854, died in 1928. She never married. She Mm. stayed in the house her entire life. And in the 1901 census, there's a brother, George, living there, and the four sisters, all in their 40s, Mm. 
all unmarried. Yeah, that came up a lot. Mm. That it was it was just unusual, like an unusual dynamic mm. within such a big house to have four unmarried siblings working together and how that dynamic would really work out in such a, a really strange house. Yeah. But that would explain um, the female energy. If you had four sisters, yeah. they would have to defer to their little brother because he was younger than them because he was the male inherited mm. whatever. Um, but the fact there was there was four sisters all in say in nineteen oh one, all in their forties. And I think I I did actually find the nineteen eleven, I think it was two of the sisters and the brother were still living there. But mm. the brother was unmarried as well. Yeah. Makes you wonder. It, it's frustrating in a sense that when you look through censuses and when you look through like land records and, and contracts and things like that, that you get the the where's and who's, but you don't get the why's, you don't get any sense of of the personalities of the people. So I, I think certainly when we were, you know, when we were trying to transfer a lot of the information over into kind of, okay, how do we direct our investigation? How would yeah. we approach, like verbally, how would we approach these people? It's it's hard to angle it when you've just got names and like maybe social societal positions mm. because it still feels like you're you're fumbling a bit. I just found it so weird that they they were all single, all still mm. living together, and it's not like they. I mean, you know, putting aside where they made their money from, mm-hmm. they had money, and money yeah. normally meant you found a spouse mm. being sort of quite um I can't even think what the word is but you know being just being businesslike you would find a spouse you'd have the money to yes. have a spouse and the fact that they were all single mm. still living together I did exactly. to... it's frustrating you want to know what were they like what were yeah. they like really aggressively religious were they were they odd? Did they all have like weird beaks and webbed feet? You know, no, I, even know. Went, I even went into the newspapers to see if that said anything. Mm. I like went through all the newspaper archives to see if it and nothing. Yeah, nothing. It Not seems like the equivalent of the gossip. You know, the the gossip pages back then. Yeah, there's there's nothing, nothing. that even suggests <laughs> why. Yeah, it, it's it's, it, it's very frustrating. Very odd. Yeah, to have no no answers there. I mean, maybe one sister or whatever to not be to stay an eternal spinster, but for all of them, mm. eh, very strange. Yeah, very strange. It's an odd place. It's a very odd place. Um, it would be amazing to suddenly un un you know find that one document that explains. Yeah, or like a, a letter, yeah. just any sense of one of themselves. Yeah. But also it makes you wonder if there was anything left over that was then, you know, handed down when when the property was then sold on and when it became like an adult learning centre. If there was anything tangible still hanging around, maybe in a loft, maybe in a case, you know, was there anything back then that then was subsequently destroyed by the fire in the 80s? It's it, it's frustrating that for people that had such power and such such position in the local community, that there's very little documentation, almost like they're shut-ins, like something in a Shirley Jackson novel, that they they don't leave, they never leave the boundaries of Missenden. But it, 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 I say, I I went through the now the 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 mother and father of this lot are mentioned mm-hmm. quite a bit in the newspapers. Yeah, but these aren't, which I thought was yeah. very very strange for a, a sort of a wealthy 
family Un- unless unless by the time they were about in the late 1800s the mm. way they'd made their money was starting to be frowned upon quite heavily I, th- I don't know because I think even today you know we see people who make their money in deplorable ways and they still have people fawning over them True. because they've got the money true yeah morals seem to be set aside quite easily if there's a big wad of cash at the end of it yeah yeah true I just said I just it was just very very strange to you know to see all these sisters middle-aged mm. all of them, and it was yeah. like, you know you don't even see that in a Jane Austen novel <laughs> no no you don't no it's it's bizarre you you'd like to think oh they never married because they were busy producing these wonderful novels they were busy yeah. becoming very adept at some kind of musical instrument or something but there's nothing nothing yeah yeah, it's very strange. Very strange. Just makes you wonder what's in Missenden that permeated its way through yeah. people living there. Um almost cursed yeah. them to die out. Yeah. Yeah, or a strange place attracting strange people. Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Hmm. So what else are you up to at the moment? Um well, I'm always writing, usually got articles in magazines somewhere. Um, uh, my podcast, like my my baby, my adored little project, uh, my podcast, The Loopholes podcast, or just Loopholes, um, went public a uh, week before last. Congratulations. And thank you very much. Thank you. It feels like a real, <laughs> real, a real birth of creativity. <laughs> in a lovely painless way i'm going to stop that um so it's it's a it's a weekly discussion podcast with ian boldsworth who people might know from from like uh the parapod from the peacock and gamble podcast things like i have that. to ask is he still wearing that woolly hat <laughs> he suits a hat he looks lovely in hats I, I i i swear when i spoke to barry about it i said does he glue mm. the hat on because it doesn't move well it, i think when when they were when they were filming the film it was first of all continuity and secondly most of it was absolutely freezing so yeah maybe if they'd done it in slightly more tropical means they'd both be in a bermuda shorts but you mean he doesn't always wear a hat not always i i have he has a absolute categorical proof that he has has a fully formed lovely head (laughs) doesn't necessarily always heard it here first people yeah yeah (laughs) There's that and many more revelations within loopholes, <laughs> not just hat-based. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a, a like a weekly discussion podcast about all things esoteric. So there's you know there's ghosts, UFOs, strange claims, and it's not just a like affirming podcast where we say this week we're going to talk about uh, psychic mediums. We're going to talk about psychometry. Mm-hmm. It'll be you know I'm presenting you know, my beliefs or my research as someone who's a sceptical believer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then Ian will discuss it with me and, you know, we'll interrogate it together and we have a laugh in the process. Yeah. And we have little, you know, we have a lot of audience interaction. We have a lot of comments and we discuss that. And it's it's really great. It kind of rolls on. It's something really different. Mm. And we have a laugh in the process. But what comes out at the end of it is something that's quite dense and well-researched and, kind of a good listen we've got a really nice little community that's that's springing up around loopholes oh brilliant 
Is and, Ian still um, quite sceptical? I think we both are. But yeah, Ian is, is very sceptical. Yeah. But in a, in a, in a, I think with, with scepticism in podcasts and things, I think it's very easy to just think, oh, they'll, they'll shoot it down because they're so close-minded or something like that. Whereas actually the way Ian takes it, certainly he's, he's a very clever man. He's incredibly well-read. Yeah. And so he'll come at things from an educated and thought out viewpoint. Like he's actually considered his issues with a subject or why haven't we discussed this? And we look for the loopholes in yeah. these in these claims and these stories and so we kind of work together for a, a sort of common good but there are many things that I don't budge on and many things where he tells me that I'm absolutely mad for believing in such a thing but I think there's there's something for everyone in that whether you believe in the paranormal or whether you think it's a load of guff or whether you're not you just want to laugh with two mates who are discussing something you know so did you know Ian before you started doing loopholes yeah yeah, yeah I've known him for years now Wow. And we were saying that we wanted to work together on a project for a long time. Right. And then loopholes just seemed like, let's just, let's just do it. Let's get something public out there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we've, we've been doing it for um, quite a long time now. And because we both run Patreon accounts as well. So our Patreons that we, upped, I mean, Ian runs his Patreon with a new content every single day. It's amazing. And we we both update them really regularly with loads of different stuff. Like I do podcasts, videos, mm-hmm. articles about all things spooky and ghostly. And it's all exclusive to my little Patreon account. I subscribe to your Patreon account, young lady. You do, but do. many others don't. Fools. Fools do fools. not. <laughs> they are fools for not. They they really are. I've shared it out so many times on Haunted Histories. Yeah, uh, thank you for that. For, what was it, about a pound or something? to to pound pound a month exactly and your knowledge just blows my mind so thank you yeah I yeah I I don't always get to read everything or listen to everything I put a lot out there so that's understandable (laughs) I'm just like can you not just put out stuff I'm researching at the moment and I can kill two I'll work on stone you just wait I'll nip over to bomber command and we'll do a special for you (laughs) (laughs) but no it's well worth it it's well worth it how would people uh follow it burials and beyond um well my patreon is um patreon.com forward slash burials and beyond and if you like the public loopholes episodes that are out you can find those anywhere wherever you get your podcasts Mm -hmm. but patrons are well in advance of the public episodes now so you get everything earlier so that if if they're they're either a patron of yours or a patron of ian's they can get hold of loopholes yes yes Yes. And then I've got public articles on burialsandbeyond.com. And then obviously I've got all the, which is all things like I do tours of graveyards. I do myths and legends. There's like, there's something for everyone. It's all very accessible and quite lighthearted, but it's really interesting. Thank you. It's all quite, you know, densely researched. It's not just, um, you know, what Kate's been musing on that day. And um, yes, I'm, then I'm on all social media under Burials and Beyond. And, you know, if you like ghosts, if you like graves, if you like haunted vase, if you want to send me some really bizarre anonymous emails relating to curses, you can do all of that through, <laughs> through my social media or through my Patreon. And then you instantly become a friend. Aww. And everything is lovely and nice. So... She actually believes yeah. that. Do send us stuff on curses and stuff. The darker, the better. Don't oh, yeah, do. on her. No. Stuff about it. Yeah. yeah. 
And if you find a weird gravestone, send her a picture of that. And oh, absolutely do. She'll, she, you know, she'll get all excited. I will. I will. I'm known for being giddy around death. So if that's not a call for engagement in my work, I don't know what is. Well, it's like people send me photos of aeroplanes and say, what kind of aeroplane is this? And I'm getting all excited when I can tell them. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I know that they, feeling very well. When they send me, I found this old article written about a workhouse. Oh, jubbly. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, funny things turn us on. <laughs> they really do. They really do, don't they? <laughs> well, thank you so much, my love, for being No, thank you for having me. Um, I'm so pleased to see the success you're having. And obviously, you're, you know, you've got articles in Haunted Magazine again, the new issue that's coming up with we're, we're Magazine. Yeah. We're Haunted Magazine buddies. Yes, um, yes, we are. So, yeah, Haunted Magazine, you've got the Paramet at the beginning of September. And if anyone wants yes. other speaking yeah. engagements, this lovely lady has got, just keep an eye on the burials and beyond, and they all get this. She does yeah. travel down to the southwest an awful lot. I do. I do. I was based in Bristol for a while, um, so I've got a lot there. My, my, tour, my, my touring commitments, let's call it that, let's make it very exotic, um, I'll kind of, it's like a weird sash across the country so yeah. I do everything from kind of the northeast down to the southwest you do you do <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah all my I'm updating my website getting everything revamped at the minute which is quite exciting but I generally have a page there of upcoming talks lectures events things like that so you generally can't shut me up about spiritualism and graves so you'll be able to catch me somewhere talking about that even if it's just on a street corner in Grimsby. Exactly. That's where most of my friends will know me from. <laughs> Those and on reports. that note, <laughs> thank you everyone ever so much for to li- I can't even speak now. She's maybe the bear. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Haunted Histories. Do go and follow Kate on social media. Do subscribe to her Patreon account. Honestly, it's brilliant stuff. And for a quid a month. You, you yeah you can't get much better than that um and hopefully i'll see you all in a while with a new haunted histories take care everyone have a good evening sleep tight and don't worry too much about things that go bump in the night